Good morning. I would encourage you to please stand. We're going to um, read God's word. And um, I'm going to be reading from the book of Hebrews, the first four verses. I will be reading from the ESV. Long ago, at many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, has in his last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Would you please be seated? <clears throat> Our Father, we just ask right now that you would control us by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would allow our minds to show us exactly what we need to know, how we need to apply your word to our hearts so that we can be ambassadors for our Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that you would just bless your word today as we open it up, for I ask in Jesus' incredible and wonderful and powerful name, amen. So we're going through a book of Hebrews in our church. I'm, um, my name is Ron Rombo, incidentally. Um, I'm a pastor of a small church over in Pompton Plains. I have about 60 people. It's basically a Filipino church. And uh, just had a chance to minister there temporarily for the last six years. The pastor fell off a ladder. He broke his ankle and he needed some help. So I came for a couple of weeks and been there ever since. So it just takes a, a little bit of time to, to get used to. But as um, I've chosen today the passage, Hebrews chapter 1, and you have the outline that you can follow. I think the passage is already in your bulletin also. But I want to place the book. It's always important to uh, develop the context of what the book is all about. <clears throat> and uh, the outline that uh, we follow is the first part is the, the person of Christ, the first six chap chapters. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. So it's talking about the superiority of Jesus Christ to everyone. Then the second part is the priesthood of Christ, chapters 7 through 10. He is a superior priesthood in the order. It's Melchizedek over Aaron. In the covenant, it's the new covenant, grace, versus the old covenant of law. In the sanctuary, Jesus ministers in heaven, and the Aaronic priesthood ministered on earth. And then the sacrifice, the Aaronic sacrifices were many. Every day they came and offered sacrifice. Once a year, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, offered the sacrifice first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. And it was continually a reminder that their sins were never totally taken care of. But with Jesus... He has once for all 
given his life, he has shed his blood, and he has taken that blood to heaven and made a permanent understanding of God for us that we are now redeemed. We are declared righteous in the very courtroom of God. So it is, the book of Hebrews is one of the uh, uh, Hebrew Christian epistles, beginning with Hebrews all the way down through Jude. The author, it's not mentioned. The date is probably A.D. 65 to 70. It's probably before the destruction of the temple, which was 70 A.D. by Titus. And so there's no mention of the destruction of Jerusalem or the destruction of the, the temple. And so therefore, most scholars feel it falls into that time frame. The recipients, uh, even though we're the recipients today, the original recipients were those uh, Jewish people who were believers, probably second generation believers, who had been driven from their homes by persecution, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Acts chapter 8, verse 1 talks about the persecution that was going on. And so they were driven from their homes, and uh, they were uh, being persecuted on the one side by Jewish people because they were Hebrew Christians and they were not obeying the law. And on the other side, the Gentiles were persecuting them because they were not Jews. So, therefore, they were, their purpose was to continue to move forward in their walk with God. They had been offered a choice. They can either go back to Judaism or they could continue on to maturity. And that is the basic theme of the book of Hebrews. You cannot go back. You have to move on because of who Christ is and what he has done for us. And so they must press on to maturity. There are three key words that are really important. One is better. And that word better means it shows the superiority of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers over the entire Hebrew um, sacrificial system. And the second word is perfect, which means a perfect standing before God. God accepts me in his presence because of who Christ is. And then the third word is eternal. So the um, Mosaic system, the Mosaic law and the Levitical system were imperfect. And that's the part that we have to understand. They were imperfect because they could never give eternal salvation and eternal redemption. Whereas Jesus Christ and the Christian life are better because those blessings give us eternal and they give us a perfect standing before God. And so now, in the next <clears throat> slide, we're talking about the superiority of Christ. And in that, the first six chapters, he's superior to the Old Testament prophets. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to Joshua. He's superior to Aaron. And that is because he is divine. And that is the purpose of the writer of the book of Hebrews, even though we don't know who it is, he is going to show forth that Jesus is God. And that's important for us to understand because that is one of the things that when you have people come knocking at your door and they start to talk about the fact that the, the people that they uh, go to church with, they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. They believe that he's a created being, but they don't believe that he's God. And the writer from the very beginning assumes that Jesus is God, just like in the beginning. 
Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It assumes God exists. In the book, the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Assumes God exists, and Jesus was with the Father in the very beginning. The book of Hebrews, it starts out, God, who at sundry times, various times and various manners, he assumes that God exists. And so we have to realize that this God that we are now going to be exposed to, the person of Jesus Christ, has been declared from the Father. Keep in mind that God the Father is speaking throughout chapter 1. Very important to remember. And God's revelation through his prophets was true, but was partial. So the first point I want to make is Jesus is superior to the prophets, and he's superior in his person. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would follow along, please, um, it says in verse 1, long ago, that means in the Old Testament, at many times, various times in the Old Testament, and in many ways, and they have spoken imperfectly, fragmentarily, removing the folds of a veil, that's how it was uh, revealed. God, who is the Father, and uh, he is the one who was speaking at this time, he spoke, and God spoke clearly, and he chose to reveal himself. And that's an incredible point to think, that God, who didn't have to tell us about himself, chose to reveal himself through the prophets and ultimately through his son. But he says um, he, is, um, sp he spoke, and meaning he's knowable. He spoke to the fathers, meaning the Jewish flavor of the passage, meaning these are Jewish believers that he's writing to, and he has spoken by the prophets, they, meaning they're the human prophets. And the human prophets are the ones who let us in on the very secrets of God. So now his revelation through his son is true and perfect and complete. God's revelation through his prophets was true, but impartial. But through his son, it is true, it is perfect, and it is complete. So Jesus brought the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises concerning the Messiah. And so this is showing the unity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God spoke in the Old Testament. He's spoken unto us in the New Testament also. Listen to what the scriptures say about Jesus, the son of God in Genesis chapter 3, that he would defeat the serpent, and he did. In Genesis 12, he would be a king from the, tribes of, from the tribe of Judah, and he was. In Genesis 49, he would be the king from the tribe of, uh, excuse me, I said that. Um, he would be a descendant from Abraham, chapter 12 of Genesis. Deuteronomy 18, he would be a prophet greater than Moses. In 2 Samuel 12, uh, chapter 7, he would be from David. He would be a king forever. In Isaiah 14, he would be virgin-born. In Isaiah 9, he would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. In Isaiah 53 and Isaiah uh, and Psalm uh, 22, he would be the suffering servant, and he would be the sin-bearer for us, and he was. And in Micah 5, 2, it said that he would be born a babe in Bethlehem, and he was. So I want to just very quickly go through some of the biblical means of revelation. God spoke, and he's revealed himself. 
And in the book of Genesis, God spoke directly to us. He spoke directly to Adam. In the garden, he spoke to the patriarchs. In Exodus through Malachi, he spoke by human agency. <clears throat> spoke through Moses and the prophets. In the New Testament, God has spoken by his son through the gospels, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he spoke unto them by them that heard him. Those were the apostles, and that would be the book of Acts. He spoke by the Holy Spirit in the epistles. And remember, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And then in the book of Revelation, he spoke by his son. It starts out <clears throat> the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of John the Apostle, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it reveals two things. Number one, it reveals the future events that are going to unfold in the book of Revelation. Number two, it reveals Jesus Christ in all of his majesty and glory. So I also want to put up on the next slide. Excuse me. <clears throat> Jesus speaks specifically. In the Old Testament, he spoke by creation. He spoke by dreams. and In other words, uh, Jacob's dream of the ladder. He spoke through visions. Uh, he, Jacob was told not to fear, to go down to Egypt. Spoke by uh, the angel of Jehovah, Moses at the burning bush. Spoke through animals. Did you ever read the account of Balaam? Uh, and he talks to Balaam, and the donkey speaks back to him. And then he answers the donkey. It's pretty incredible, you know? And then he speaks through miracles, through um, Jesus uh, doing the wedding uh, at Cana, at Bowery, um, wedding at Cana uh, in um, Galilee. Speaks through angels to Philip when he was going to go to the Ethiopian eunuch, through direct communication to the Apostle Paul in a vision, the vision of light, through providence, through God in um, working circumstances in life so that we understand that he's speaking to us also. And he speaks ultimately through Jesus Christ. The word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Jesus came to reveal the Father. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now, I'd like to move to our uh, passage and pick up with verse 2. And it's going to talk about the attributes, the characteristics, and the actions of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 2, and he says, in these last days, that means the New Testament, and we are in the last days, if you realize it. We're toward the end of the last days, I feel. And he has spoken to us by his Son. So God the Father is communicating this, whom he has appointed. And here's the first thing. He is, Jesus is the divine heir. That means he has inherited all things from the Father. It's a title of dignity, and it showing that the Father is honoring the Son and everything belongs to him. God owns everything. He owns the cattle on the thousand hills. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. He owns everything in heaven and the universe. <clears throat> so he is the um, divine heir. And we, if we are heirs with Christ, we're joint heirs with him because of what Christ has done 
and he has made us his children also. Number two, he's divine creator. It says uh, in verse two also, through whom also he created the world. He created all of time, all of space, and all of matter, and he is transcendent, which means he is above them. He's not affected by them. And he is also, number three, he is the divine revealer. Verse three, he is reveal, <clears throat> excuse me, the radiance of the glory of God. This is not reflected glory, but it is the brightness that comes from within. Do you remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he had that veil taken off him and uh, uh, Moses was there and uh, Elijah was there and Peter, James, and John were there and they saw Jesus Christ in all of his majesty and all of his glory. That's what this is talking about. It's like the sunlight is to the sun and this is God's glory being revealed, which is the sum total of all that God is. And so Jesus is showing the Father's glory. Number four is divine character. It's the exact imprint of his nature. It's like taking an engraving tool and taking it and making an implant on the paper or wood, whatever it was, and it would be the exact representation of what that um, tool was. He's also, number five, the divine sustainer. That means he holds the universe together by the word of his power. He created the universe by speaking, and he holds the universe together by speaking. He, he speaks and keeps all of the atoms and all, the, all of the electrons that go around the proton and the nucleus. He keeps them from, from flying apart. And he, not only from the smallest atom, but also to... Um, and I, we just looked this up today. It, it's this uh, large, giant red star. It's called Stevenson 2-18. And we have a pretty big sun. It's 865,000 miles in diameter. And you could probably fit 1.3 of our Earth's inside of our sun. Well, you could fit 10 billion of our suns into Stevenson 2-18. It would take up the entire solar system all the way out to, out to Saturn. It's 1.8 billion miles in diameter. And it is uh, something like 19,000 miles from um, light years from here. And uh, it would take um, something like 8.7 uh, hours for light to go around the circumference at 186,000 miles per second. So uh, he's also not only the divine heir, divine creator, divine revealer, he's the divine character, he's the divine sustainer of our universe, he is also the divine redeemer. And we have been singing about that today. And I just want to let you know that I have appreciated the worship today. I've been seated into the heavenlies with Christ because of that. And uh, you are so blessed. And so we're going to be talking more about worship in a little bit. But here, Jesus is the divine redeemer. And it says, after making purification for our sins. And he did that when he was on the cross. And he says in scripture, for he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin for me, became sin for you. And scripture says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us.
for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was being made a curse when he was on Calvary's tree because at that moment your sin was being placed upon him. And he was providing the cleansing in 1 John 1.7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he in the, is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So he is not only the divine redeemer, but he is the divine savior. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And this means the greatness of God, the reigning king. And this is after his ascension, and he is resting. He is seated, very interesting. So the next slide shows the um, uh, Christ as the superior prophet. Good. So Christ is the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the redeemer. But there were three, three offices in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. And we talked about the prophets already, but here it's talking about Jesus is the superior prophet. He is God the Son in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. It talks about that he is that prophet who is to come. And uh, it says he is the one son, and he is the final and complete message, whereas the prophets of, who are human, they were men who were called by God. There were many of them, many prophets, and they gave an incomplete but fragmented message. And uh, Jesus Christ fulfills all three roles, even though you were not allowed to have more than two of those roles in the Old Testament, generally just one, but there were a couple exceptions, like Moses and Samuel and David. They had two of the titles, but Jesus Christ has all three titles, prophet, priest, and king at the same time, and he fills them perfectly. In the next one, he shows that Jesus is the superior priest. Jesus Christ by himself purged our sins once and for all, once and forever, Whereas the priests in the Old Testament under Aaron, they had to constantly offer animal sacrifices, but they were only temporarily covering our sins until the ultimate Jesus Christ could come. And he was also the superior king. Jesus Christ sat down because his work was finished. It was a permanent place of honor because he is God. And thirdly, he is the eternal throne is of the Father and of the Son. Did you know that? In um, Revelation 3, verses 21 and 22, it talks about the, the eternal throne is of the Son and of the Father. And so the earthly kings, however, their earthly work was never done. There was a temporal place of honor because he's human, but he was not qualified to sit at the Father's right hand. And so now we move into this superiority of Jesus Christ, not only to the Old Testament prophets, but to the angels. And it's important to understand the flow of thought. In the Old Testament, the law was given on Mount Sinai about 1450 BC, and it was given to Moses. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 7 and in Genesis chapter 3 that it was ordained by angels. They were the mediators of this. And so what Jesus is to us, he's representing that he is greater than the angels who gave the law. So if Jesus is greater than the angels, he can show that the covenant that was given by the angels is 
not as superior to the covenant that is given by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in chapter one, he's superior in his deity. And number two, he is superior, chapter two, he's superior in his redemptive purpose, why he came to save us. And so there are six examples from the Old Testament that uh, the writer gives us now to show how Jesus is superior to the angels. And he takes like a machine gun and just keeps hitting us with uh, scripture, one right after the other. And uh, in verse 4, if you would look at uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, it says, having become as much superior or better to angels, and remember all the angels were created holy, but some fell at uh, the rebellion of Satan, and we see probably that happened in Revelation chapter 12, and uh, these angels are powerful. Um, they excel in strength, the uh, scriptures say, and they also are mediators of the law. And it says that he, Jesus, has inherited a more excellent uh, name than they. And uh, think about the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in verse 5, he says, for to which of the angels uh, did he say, ever say? And think of the number of angels. In, in the book of Revelation chapter 5, it talks about there are 10,000 times 10,000 gathered around the throne. So that's at least 100 million angels. And did he ever say to any one individual angel, you're my son? Never said that. He said, um, for to which individually of the angels did he say, you are my son, you're, my, you're the Messiah. And he's talking about this future, um, future reign of Christ. Uh, talked about what happens at the resurrection. In the book of uh, Romans chapter one, it says, um, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so here he says, I have begotten you. That's the day he was begotten when he was raised from the dead. And he says, or again, I will be to him a father. And this is David's future son claiming equality with God. And he shall be to me a son. So the angels, we know from Job chapter um, one, they are gathered before God to give an account of their lives, but they're collectively called sons of God. But we, uh, Jesus is the appointed son of God. In the second um, example, Jesus receives worship, and angels are the ones who worship him. Verse 6 says, and again, when he brings the firstborn, and that would be the one who has authority. That would be Christ in all, with all his prerogatives. Into the world, he, um, the Father, says, let all the angels of God worship him. It's a command that God the Father is giving to the angels to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, if you think about it, when Jesus was offered worship in Scripture, it's over 50 times he's worshiped. He never refuses it. So he gives uh, homage, is given to him by the angels. And think about the apostle uh, John when he was writing the book of Revelation. He saw this 
uh, figure of Jesus Christ appearing before him and says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And so we also have to realize that angels are not to be worshipped. They are to worship Jesus Christ, but we are not to worship them as the apostle John tried to do in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. He says, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God and worship God only. And so we have to realize the main point that the Father is commanding the angels to worship the Son. Number three, Jesus is the one who is served. That's verse seven. And the angels are the ones who serve Jesus. Or of the angels he says, he makes or creates his angels, winds or spirits, and his ministers, a flame of fire. So they are carrying out God's judgment. They are doing the will of Jesus with the speed of wind and with the fervency of fire. And listen to this passage from uh, Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus is explaining the parable of the wheat and the tares. He says, he answered and he said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The son of man, Jesus, will send out his angels. He's the one who owns these angels. He's created them. And they will gather out of his kingdom all the things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. And he says, and look at verse 42, he says, and will cast them into the, the furnace of fire. So the angels are the ones who carry out the judgment of our Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth one is Jesus is God's eternal anointed king and angels are the subjects of Jesus. And boy, I, I love this passage. I first heard this when I was at this church. I, I attended a service. Uh, Harold Lawler was the pastor at that time. And uh, some of you know him. But uh, he, he made this point. He says, but unto the Son, he says. So God the Father is speaking. Your throne, O oh God. The Father calls Jesus God. That's incredible for those cults who come knocking at your door. Jesus is God. Your throne is forever and ever. So he has an eternal throne. Not only is he sitting on the throne with the Father, but it is an eternal throne it will be in existence forever. And he says, the scepter of righteousness. You know what a scepter is? You remember the inauguration of King Charles? He has a couple of scepters he's holding there. Well, that, it's a symbol of the uh, uh, righteousness of, the, of his kingdom. And he says, the scepter of uprightness in the ESV, that means of righteousness or the eternal perfecting, perfect standard of holiness is the scepter of your kingdom. Perfect holiness and righteousness is what is going to characterize the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 9 says, you have loved righteousness, you've hated wickedness. We see that in Christ's earthly ministry. 
Therefore, God, your God, try to get your mind around that, between Jesus and God, going back and forth, between calling each other God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And if you think about the end of the book of Hebrews, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before The joy comes after the suffering that he suffered for you and for me when he was on that cross. And uh, move to the fifth one now. Jesus is the eternal, immutable creator, and angels are changeable, created beings by Jesus. Um, and this is a quote from Psalm 102, the next uh, three verses. And the first word says, and, which means it links it to the previous so, uh, passage. So keep in mind, God the Father is speaking. And he says, and you, Lord, in the, back in the Old Testament passage, in Psalm 102, it is Y-H-W-H, Jehovah. And so he says, the Father calls Jesus Lord, meaning you are the one in supreme authority. God the Father is saying that to Jesus. You laid the foundation of the earth, the creation, and the beginning, uh, and the heavens are the work of your hands. God made the heavens and the earth both. Verse 11, they will perish. In other words, the heavens and the earth, they're, they're going to be destroyed by fire. Listen to what Peter says. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall cast away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are in it shall be burned up. It's going to be the first time there was destruction of the earth by water. Remember Noah's time? Second time it's going to be by fire. It's going to be some kind of purging, cleansing that God is going to be doing. Removal of all sin. So we will be able to live in a perfect environment. And he says, they will perish, but you, Jesus, you remain. You are eternal. You are immutable. You are unchanging. They, the heavens and the earth, are going to wear out like a garment. And look at verse 12. Like a robe, like a garment, you, Christ, will roll them up. Like a garment, they, the heavens and the earth, will be changed. But you, Jesus Christ, you are the same, immutable. Remember? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes, which is a great comfort to us because he always loves us with that same incredible love. And he says, and your years will have no end, meaning they're not going to diminish. They will never be destroyed. His kingdom will endure forever. And so we move on to this last one. Jesus is the reigning Lord, verses 13 and 14. Angels are the servants of Jesus. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit on my right hand? I thought Jesus was seated at the right hand. But now it's going to be saying, uh, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. See, in the book of Acts, when Peter, excuse me, when um, Stephen is just about ready to be taken into heaven, he says, I see the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
I thought he was seated. But he gets up at certain times because Jesus was about to, uh, excuse me, Stephen was about to be taken into heaven. He sees the face of Jesus Christ. He's about to be taken into heaven. And Jesus then gets off his throne and stands, gets ready to welcome him into heaven. How incredible is that to know that he is taking that much care of us and he loves us that much. And um, verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits? They're sent from the throne out to serve. They do the bidding of Jesus Christ for the sake of those that would be us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a born-again believer, this verse pertains to you. It says you are, it says the angels are ministering spirits sent to serve you for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. If you have inherited salvation, that means that you are the recipient of angels protecting you. I could probably open up the floor now and probably a lot of you would be able to say, let me tell you a story about how God sent his angels to protect me. And so we have to realize that some of you have even entertained angels unawares. It says that at the book end of the book of Hebrews. And so this tells us that we have this inheritance. We are inheritors of salvation. We are the recipients in whom we have that redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So this passage has told us that God is noble. He's revealed himself. He's involved in our lives. And God is good. And Jesus is greater than the angels who are the ones who helped deliver the law. Therefore, grace is better than the old covenant. And to close this out, God has revealed himself and nothing is better than his son. If you want to hear God, listen to his son. How do you do that? You know how I do it? Every morning when I get up, I go down and prepare my breakfast. I take this app that's on my iPad and I put it on the Bible program. And I have that guy read to me. He's got that really good, good voice, you know. And it just, just listen. And I just listen while I prepare my breakfast and I eat my breakfast. I listen to the word of God. And uh, we have to realize that Jesus is presented as the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, the prophet, the priest, and the king. He is everything to me. And as I listen to scripture, I try to look for the attributes of Jesus Christ that I can then, that I can imitate in my own life. So if you want to hear God, listen to his son. Listen to the scriptures. Read God's word. Number two, if you want to see God, look at his son. That means read the gospels. Read them often. Because Jesus has that complete, final, perfect, ultimate revelation from God the Father. You want to know what the Father says? You want to see the invisible God? Look at the person of Jesus Christ. And I love this one because I'm here today. If you want to worship God, and thank you for the worship, it's been incredible. Lift up his son. Think back of what we have done today 
in worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ, exalted him to that position of preeminence, and that's that he's in my life first, that in all things Jesus might have preeminence, Colossians 1.18b, supremacy, first place, control of our lives that was given to us when our married, the day we were married. So we have to realize, in closing out, this superior name that Jesus has been given, if he's been given that name, then reverence who he is. Jesus receives worship, then worship Jesus Christ. Jesus is served, therefore serve him. Figure out what your spiritual gift is and then get involved in his church and serve him. Number four, he is the infinite anointed king. Be subject to him. When he tells you to do something, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And he is the eternal creator, therefore spend eternity with him. How do you do that? By believing the gospel. Christ died for our sins, that he's buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he is the sovereign Lord, therefore bow and yield your life over to him. What are you going to do with the one who is called the Christ? Your eternal destiny depends on it. I have chosen Jesus Christ to be my savior. I've invited him into my life. I've received him into my life, and I've trusted him. And I know many of you have done. Maybe there's someone here who hasn't. Maybe there's someone online. Never can tell who's listening to these messages. But the important thing is, have you at a point in time made that personal decision to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, apart from works, to be your Savior, your Lord, and your Master. Worship Him. Would you bow with me, please? Father, thank you again for this privilege you give us to open up your word. I pray that you would continue to guide us as we worship you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.